We recall from the the Christmas story about the um, when the shepherd or the angels came to the shepherds in the field that night. Uh, they sang, um, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men." Um, that is a, a joyful and exciting statement, um, and I think that the spirit of that still lives today and I rejoice in in um, experiencing that here this morning there's there's a ring of excitement in the air and especially with the younger ones and that does my heart good um, so um, As far as the order of, of what we have planned, um, it's not set in concrete necessarily. Um, I guess we will be the first group up here. Uh, William asked that they might be kind of in the center. So I was thinking maybe the third group for you. Is that okay? Would you rather be go second? Okay, so we'll go first, and William and his family second, and then you can do however you want. Um, so, <clears throat> I guess that's all I have for now, so if you want to come join me, we'll, we'll start this. So, for, for a preface to our program, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses... 2 through 7, I believe. Yes. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased their joy. They joy before, these, before thee according to the joy in the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as in the day of Midian. For all the armor of the armed man in the tumult, and the garments rolled in blood, shall be for burning and for fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from henceforth even forever, the zeal of Jehovah of hosts will perform this. So uh, God's people were promised deliverance from bondage and sin from the very beginning. And the uh, prophets have prophesied of how and when he, uh, this deliverance would come in the form of Jesus. Um, almost 2,024 years ago, Jesus was born in a lowly stable. Jesus, uh, People's lives were changed. Prophecies were fulfilled. The questions that people had about God were answered. The various needs of the people were supplied for. The 
power of God was displayed through the many miracles that Jesus did. Today, Jesus is still willing to be born in the lowliest of places, the heart of the sinner. He will enter into the repentant heart and work miracles, changing lives and bringing light where there was darkness. Um, so uh, we're going to sing a song, and uh, the last verse of that song is um, especially precious to us. Lay him down, lay in silent rest, enshrouded in stillness of night. When into his streets there came beaming down the star of the morning so bright, no
have a, um, one more thing to share with you uh, individually. Um, I'd wanted to memorize it, but I didn't get it done. So I'm just reading a poem. Um, it is entitled Christ. <clears throat> so <clears throat> Christmas is all about Christ, um, especially his birth, but um, no, that is endearing to us, but we all recognize that it was much more than just the birth, and um, this deals with um, more um, for us personally than commemorating his birth. Christ my Savior, Christ my friend, Christ my treasure without end, Christ when waves of sorrow roll, Christ the comfort of my soul, Christ when all around shall fail, Christ when enemies prevail, Christ when false accusers rise, Christ my solace in the skies, Christ when days are dark and drear, Christ when all around is clear, Christ when all the earth is gone, Christ my portion on the throne, Christ at home and Christ abroad, Christ my company on the road, Christ in sickness, Christ in health, Christ in poverty and wealth, Christ who once on earth has trod, Christ the blessed Son of God, Christ for time and Christ for a, Christ for all eternity. This is written by an Edwin B. Hart. I came across this, um, it's just a little short, um, thoughtful, I thought it was really meaningful to me, and I had a desire to share it with you. It starts in as, the remark was made, turn up your light so you will shine brighter. It does not work that way. We cannot make our, ourselves shine. We can only let our lights shine. We are like the moon, which is actually only a reflection of the sun. Without the sun, the moon has no light whatsoever. Without the Father, we have no light either. The moon can only shine when the earth is not between the moon and the sun. Who of us does not enjoy the moon when it is its brightest? The full moon is all its glory, in all its glory causes us to stand in awe of, in awe of, 
and to praise the creator of such beauty. We all like full moon. It's a wonderful time. But let the earth slip in between the sun and the moon just and the moon just a little bit and the moon will give less light and on those dark nights when the moon gives no light at all we know the earth completely shuts off the sun's rays god is like the sun we are like the moon and the earth is like sin are we reflecting our father's ray Raise, if there is sin in our life, get rid of it now. Then you too can be a, a reflector of the true light in heaven. You will not be making your light shine. It will just automatically do so. The purer your life, the brighter the light. And when others see this light, they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. I've got a story to read. Um, I heard it once and it made a big enough impression that I remembered it and could go find it. Uh, it's titled The Cobbler and His Guest. Long ago there lived in the city of Marcellus an old shoemaker loved and honored by all his neighbors named Martin. On Christmas Eve, he sat alone in his little shop, reading of the visit of the wise men to the infant Jesus, and of the gifts they brought. He said to himself, if tomorrow were the first Christmas, and if Jesus were to be born in Marcellus this night, I know what I would give him. He arose and took from a shelf two little shoes of softest snow white leather with bright silver buckles i would give him these my finest work how pleased his mother would be but in a foolish but i'm a foolish old man he thought smiling the master has no need for my poor gifts replacing the shoes he blew out the candle and retired to rest hardly had he closed his eyes it seemed when he heard a voice call his name Martin intuitively he felt aware of the identity of the speaker Martin you have longed to see me to see me tomorrow I shall pass by your window if you see me and bid me enter I shall be your guest and sit at your table he did not sleep that night for joy before it was yet dawn, he arose and tidied up his little shop. He swept the floor and wreathed the green bows of fur along the rafters. On the table he placed a loaf of bread, a jar of honey, and a pitcher of milk, and over the fire he hung a hot drink. His simple preparations were complete. When all was in readiness, he took up his vigil at the window, he was sure he would know the master. As he watched the driving sleet and rain in the cold, deserted street, he thought of the joy that would be his when he sat down and broke bread with his guest. Presently he saw an old street sweeper pass by, blowing upon his thin, gnarled hands to warm them. 
Poor fellow, he must be half frozen, thought Martin. Opening the door, he called out to him. Come in, my friend, and warm yourself and drink something hot. No further urging was needed, and the man gratefully accepted the invitation. An hour passed, and Martin... An hour passed, and Martin next saw a poor, miserably clothed woman carrying a baby. She paused wearily to rest in the shelter of his doorway. Quickly he flung open the door. Come in and warm, warm while you rest, he said to her. You are not well, he asked. I am going to the hospital. I hope they will take me in and my baby, she explained. My husband is at sea, and I am ill without a soul to whom I can go. Poor child, cried the old man. You must eat something while you are getting warm. Let me give you a cup of milk to drink. Let me give a cup of milk to the little one. Ah, what a bright, pretty little fellow he is. Why, you have no shoes on him. I have no shoes for him, sighed the mother. Then he shall have this lovely pair I finished yesterday. And Martin took down the soft little snow-white shoes he had looked at the evening before and slipped them on the child's feet. They fit perfectly. And shortly the young mother went her way full of gratitude, and Martin went back to his post at the window. Hour after hour went by, and many needy souls shared the meager hospitality of the old cobbler, but the expected guest did not appear. At last, when night had fallen, Martin retired to his cot with a heavy heart. It was only a dream, he sighed. I, I did hope and believe, but he has not come. Suddenly, so it seemed to his weary eyes, the room was flooded with a glorious light, and the cobbler's astonished vision, and to the cobbler's astonished vision, there appeared before him, one by one, the poor sweep, the street sweeper, the sick mother, and her baby, and all the people whom he had aided during the day. Each one smiled at him and asked, Have you not seen me? Did I not sit at your table? And vanished. Then softly, at, then softly out of the silence, he heard again the gentle voice repeating the old familiar words, Whoso shall give, who shall, whoso shall receive. One such little child in my name receiveth me, for I was an, was an hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I, I think that's an interesting little story. Um, and we we still today have opportunity to bring our gifts to to Jesus, and most importantly, accept His gift of salvation that He brought to us.
I don't have a um, story or anything. I just wrote down some thoughts I was pondering um, in the last few days. Um, I guess I've I've been uh, thinking about uh, light or yeah. Um, you know the light shining out of the darkness. Um, so let's let's think of the Old Testament, how God's people faded into darkness and sin, um, and God faded into into silence. There was um, you know the the four hundred years of silence, where there were was no. Uh, prophecy God didn't speak to to his people and it, <clears throat> we kind of feel sorry for the, those people um, in that time so you know when when Christ was born he let his light shine forth in splendor again <clears throat> after after the birth of Christ um, which we assume it was at night. Um, I'm not sure we can... I mean, from what we read, we assume it was at night. Um, the angels appeared to the shepherds, um, and, and there, was a, there was light in the darkness. Um, And and singing, you know, the the host of angels started singing after um, the angel announced Christ's birth and and where the shepherds can could find it, find Christ. Um, you know, if we think of the silence, you know, God didn't speak uh, through prophets or. There was very little interaction um, recorded anyway. Um, so this uh, sudden appearance of God talking to people in, you know, quite literally um, made a big impression and people listened. Um, then I had to think of of the phrase that has come forth. Um, it was shared in a in a sermon some time ago. Um, the The making of the music is in the rest. So the the silence um, amplified the glory of of the message and the light um, and now we too are are called to let our light shine which um, I guess uh, from what we heard earlier you know we, we are reflecting I guess I had written that down first and then I changed it 
Um, but uh, so we we need to reflect that light um, to those around us. Um, then I got the verse in Acts 13, verse 47. For so the Lord commanded us, commanded us, I have set you as, as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the end of the earth. I just have a short poem that I found and appreciated the message. So the title is The Stranger in the Manger. He was cradled in a manger, saddled to a strange land. Stranger he was to his kinfolks, stranger he brought into strangers he brought into his kingdom. In humility he left his deity to save humanity. His throne he descended to bear thorns and cross for you and me. A servant of all he became, prodigals and paupers he made princes and priests. I can never stop wondering how he turns wanderers into wanderers and makes apostates apostles and and makes apostates apostles. He's, he is still in the trade of making something beautiful of any life. A vessel of honor out of dirty clay. Please don't keep on being estranged. Come to the potter, your maker. Okay, that's all we have. So, um, just wish you all God's blessings as you continue, as we continue together, and uh, especially uh, we wish you Christmas blessings. We're going to do a, a voice drama. I'm going to be the narrator and the voice of an angel. Deborah's going to be Mary, and Hadassah's going to be Joseph and a shepherd. Adriana's going to be a shepherd and a townsperson, and Wesley is going to be baby Jesus. So in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of angel, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But how can this be? What kind of greeting might this be? Do not fear, Mary, for you have found favor with God. <laughs> and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth, to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Mary, we must find a place soon. The night is cold and you need rest. Joseph, the journey is long and the time for baby and the time for the baby to come is near. 
And so Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. The town was bustling, full of people who had come for the census. Joseph, with Mary by his side, saw a place for them to stay. Please, is there a place for us? My wife is close to giving birth. I am sorry, there is no room left in our inn, but there is a stable where you can find some shelter. Joseph, any shelter will be a blessing at this point. And so, Mary and Joseph found themselves in a humble stable amongst the animals. This would be the place where the Savior of the world would be born. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Oh, my son, my Jesus, you are here. You are a blessing to us all. Here in this humble place a Savior is born. Mary, our lives are changed forever. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is a sign from God. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Yes, we must see this Savior the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Look, just as the angel said, a baby in a manger, truly this must be the Savior. We were in the fields when angels came to us. They told us of this child, a Savior Christ the Lord. <coughs> All these things the shepherd says, I will treasure them and ponder them in my heart. The shepherds, after seeing the baby Jesus, were filled with great joy. They knew that they had witnessed something miraculous and something that would change the world. We must tell everyone about this. Everyone must know about this child who is Christ the Lord. Yes, let's spread the good news the Savior promised by God is born. And so the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Can you believe it? A baby born in a stable said to be the Messiah. Truly these are remarkable times. The news of this miraculous birth began to spread throughout Bethlehem and beyond. People were amazed at what the, what the shepherds told them. The birth of Jesus was not just an ordinary event. It was the fulfillment of God's promise, a beacon of hope for all. As Mary and Joseph looked upon their newborn son lying in the manger, they pondered the angel's words and the shepherds' joyous proclamation. This child, Jesus, was the promised Messiah the light of the world. My son, you are the fulfillment of prophecy, the hope of nations. Your life will be a testament to God's love. In this humble setting, a king is born. His kingdom will not be one of power and wealth, but of love, peace, and truth.
And so, in the little town of Bethlehem, a Savior was born. His birth was not in a palace or among the elite, but in a stable, surrounded by the simplicity of nature and the warmth of human love. This child Jesus would grow up to teach us about love, sacrifice, and salvation. His birth was just the beginning of a story that would change the course of history, a story that continues to inspire hope and faith in the hearts of millions. As we celebrate Christmas, let us remember the true meaning of this season, the birth of Jesus Christ, and the love that God has for each one of us. Yeah, it's been good to be here already. Um, I have a little bit to share, I guess, a few verses. Um, I'm inspired by what we heard last Sunday in Lexington and, and devotions. Um, I guess there's a Let's just start here. It's Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. Um, I command you, command unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which, which is in Corinth, that you receive her in the Lord, as, as becometh a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she has need of you. For that, for she has been a sucker of many and of myself also um one word in that verse two is sucker um you only hear about four times in the bible i don't know if you know what the meaning of it is but um it's a <clears throat> someone who gives help in time of need or distress or difficulty so if you think of the season that we're in season of giving and um, to each other and celebrating Christ. Um, and then in Galatians 6, I'll just give you a few examples. Um, verses 1 through 10 says, Brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest Thou be tempted, bear ye, bear ye another one's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think of himself to be, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man approve his own work, and they shall have received, and they shall have rejoiced in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teach in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whosoever a man, for whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. For he that soweth to the spirit shall the spirit reap everlasting life. Let us be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint. <clears throat> As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And then in John 1, 4, verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God 
नमस्कार so uh, the question is that are we are we suckers in today's world i mean are we um, helping giving um, even not just not in just this season but in every day of our life as we um, face life and what it brings sometimes it can be difficult and, and hard to do do that but just to remember that god is um, all-knowing and all-powerful um he also um, gave an example of more of a modern today's modern world I guess of two <clears throat> there was two classes in high school there was they call themselves the, um, there was a group they called themselves the stranglers and they were they were in um whatever is it in the writing they were like academics or whatever and they would go over the work after school each other's work and look at it and then they would criticize each other it started out kind of as a joke with each other and uh and then it progressively got worse and then there was another group that was uh, what they call the wranglers and this was a ladies group so the rank so the lady group they were they were encouraging each other and they saw a mistake and they would you know tell them about it and go over it with them and whatever help them well, years later down the road, the, the Strangler group, there's not one of them went anywhere with it because of all the discouragement in their life. And then the group of the Wranglers, there was four of them that progressed and moved on with their what they were studying. And it just brought out that, you know, encouragement and helping each other can go a long ways. I don't know, it was a lesson for me and. I was inspired by it. Um, so yeah, she has a verse, uh, poem yet to read. Title is Give More. The more you give, the more you get. The more you laugh, the less you fret. The more you do unselfishly, the more you'll live abundantly. The more of everything you share, the more you'll always have to spare. The more you love, the more you'll find that life is good and friends are kind. Only what we give away enriches us from day to day. So let's give Christmas through the year and fill the world with love and cheer. God bless you. Okay, well, I was going to do what Ethan did, that poem. I had it all figured. I did it at work, but it's fine. I found something else. So um, this is actually a song, but it can be a poem, too. I'm just going to read it. So it's remarkable to think that a baby boy born in a stable, no prestige, no privilege, no social media or social status, political campaigns or private airplanes, and yet he turned BC into AD. He flipped the world on its head. He's the most famous name around the globe, inspired the most read book ever written. He re reconnected us to heaven and in turn brought heaven down to earth. And now he offers us redemption, a fresh start, freedom so that we can hold our heads high and march through this life knowing we are never alone. That every man, that every woman and man, boy and girl, to all of us who feel like we have nothing left, nothing to bring, that we know that God is smiling at us, that he loving, loving's us, that we are enough. So light up that Christmas tree, stand under the mistletoe, surround yourself with the ones 
that you love the most. And together, let's celebrate the greatest news this world has ever known. Wish you guys all Merry Christmas. Mom, mom says she didn't bring her glasses, can't read my fine print. I'll offer something to read, but so I'll just share a little bit. So yeah, it's a blessing to be here so far. Um, thank you all for sharing. I didn't know what I was going to share or whatever, but some inspiration, I guess, maybe. I do appreciate that story or that, that Ethan had shared. We actually acted that out as a Christmas play one year at school. It's very easy to do. Like you have the old the lady come by and the woman come by and the guy's sitting there fixing shoes. You know, he's cobbling and he's looking up and he's waiting for the presence of the Lord to come because he said he would visit him. And as they went past, at the ending scene, you know, as curtain closes, it's like you have the voice in the background saying, I was there, I was there, I was there. So it's it would be, I just thought about that. It would be easy to, we would be enough of us to actually work that out as a whole play. It would be really, really awesome. A lot of them stories can be acted out. We've done that before for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so I just pulled out some devotionals, I guess, or looked at some devotionals. One of the first ones here is, thing, is just uh, is a verse in what, uh, what God had told Mary in Luke 1, verse 37, uh, verse 35 to 37, actually. But <clears throat> uh, the title is called uh, Nothing Will Be Impossible. That's what he told her. So, as Christmas approaches and a new year just sits around the corner, what are the impossible things that you want to believe God for? My mom gave me a little white cross, lettered in purple with the words of Luke 137, edged with flowers. It sits on my bookshelf in my small office space, reminding me to believe for the impossible things, to believe that God is more powerful than I can imagine, more capable than I can fathom, and more sovereigner than I can see. Sometimes when something feels impossible, we simply stop praying, we stop believing God for the miracle that we do need. But when we choose to believe that truly nothing is impossible with Him, we can rest from our worries. We can trust that His ways are good and that His timing is perfect. The words for nothing will be impossible were spoken by the angel Gabriel. He told Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, was, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel was full of surprises, and I can imagine that Mary was overwhelmed by this news. God is full of surprises, and he wants to delight you as you trust in him for the impossible things in this year ahead so lord help me to believe the impossible help me to believe that nothing is impossible with you i don't know i read this book a long time ago and i, I looked got it off the shelf this morning and looked at it so i'm just kind of to go with with this just it's a little very first short chapter um, max Lucado though has been an inspiration to me um, this book's titled glory days um, and that is the title of the first first chapter but I'll just take you through history just a little bit <clears throat> and it's based on the book of joshua so for seven years they were virtually untouchable seven nations conquered at least 31 kings were defeated approximately 10,000 square miles of choice property was claimed seven years of unbridled success they were outnumbered but not outpowered under-equipped, 
but not overwhelmed. They were unlikely, but unquestionable. Conquerors of some of the most barbaric armies in the history of, of the world. Had the campaign been a prize fight, the referee would have called it in the first round. The Hebrew people, they were unstoppable. And this is the, this kind of goes with the things that, like, how is this possible for all these for, for all this? They hadn't always been. The Bible doesn't gloss over the checkered history of God's chosen people. Abraham had too many wives. Jacob had told lies. Esau sold his birthright. Joseph's brothers sold him. Four centuries of Egypt, Egyptian bondage were followed by 40 years of wilderness wandering. Then later, there was 70 years of Babylonian detention. The Hebrew people built two temples only to lose them. They were given the Ark of the Covenant only to lose it. Lose it. Babylonian built her cities. Greece flexed her muscles. Rome stretched her empire. And Israel, in the schoolroom of ancient societies, she was a kid with a black eye, bullied and all beat up. Except for those seven years, which are considered the glory days of Israel. On the timeline of our Bible, this air glistens between the difficult days of Exodus and the dark ages of the judges. Moses had just died. The Hebrews were beginning to, their fifth decade as Bedoians in the Badlands. That means just wandering pilgrims. And sometime around 1400 B.C., God spoke. Joshua listened, and the glory days began. The Jordan River opened up. The Jericho walls fell down. The sun stood still. The kings of Canaan were forced into early retirement. Evil was booted, and hope was rebooted. By the end of that campaign, the homeless wanderers became hope-filled homesteaders. A nation of shepherds began to quarry a future out of the Canaanite hills. They built farms. They built villages and vineyards. Their accomplishments were so complete that this is what the historians wrote. Joshua 21, 43-45 So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. What a statement that is. It says, The Lord gave all the land. The Lord gave them rest. And not a man of their enemies stood against them. And all had came to pass. It says, Winter chill gave away to springtime thaw. And there was a new season born. Perhaps you need a new season as well. You don't need to cross the Jordan River, but you need to get through this week. You aren't facing Jericho, but you may be facing rejections or heartaches. Canaanites are not stalking you, but discouragement, dangers, they're rampant. You wonder if you have what it takes to even face tomorrow. You can relate to that deflated little fellow I saw in an airport terminal. He and his family were on summer vacation. At least that's what I Sherlocked from the way that they were dressed. Flip-flops, baseball caps, straw hats. They were beach-bound for a week of sand and fun and sun. Everything about the dad's expression said, hurry, hurry, let's go. We have to run if we're going to make this connection. The concourse was his football field and the departure gate his end zone. He was determined to score a touchdown. Can this little fellow keep up? I wondered. Mom could. She matched her husband stride for stride. The big brothers could. They hitched their backpacks higher and leaned forward into the draft of their parents. But that little guy, he was five years old, six at the most. His face was resolved, but his legs were short. It didn't help matters that he was dragging a pint-sized Mickey Mouse carry-on bag. 
nor did it help that the entire civilized world was jammed into this airport. He tried to match his parents' pace, but he just couldn't. So he stopped. Right in the middle of that mayhem, he, he gave up. He plopped his bags on the floor, he sat down on top of it, and he shouted in the direction of a disappearing family, I can't keep up. Well, can you relate? Sometimes the challenge is just too much. You want to keep up. You try. It's not that you don't. You just run out of fight. Life has a way of taking the life out of us. The book of Joshua in the Bible is for such a season. It dares us to believe our best days are ahead. God has promised has a promised land for us to take. The promised land was a third stop on the Hebrews' iconic, iconic initiary. Their pilgrimage began in Egypt, continued through the wilderness, and it concluded in Canaan. Each land represents a different condition of life. Geography is theology. In Egypt, the Hebrews were enslaved to Pharaoh. In the wilderness, they were free from Pharaoh, but they were enslaved to fears. They refused to enter the promised land and languished in the desert. Only in Canaan did they discover victory. Egypt, the wilderness, and Canaan, slaves to Pharaoh, slaves to fear, and finally, people of, of the promise. We too have traveled this. Egypt represents our days before salvation. We were in bondage to sin. We wore the leg irons of guilt and death. But then came our deliverer, Jesus Christ. By his grace and in his power, we crossed the Red Sea. He liberated us from the old life, and he offered a brand new life in Canaan. Our promised land isn't a physical ter territory. It's a spiritual reality. It's not real estate, but a real state of our heart and mind. A promised land in which we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, Romans 8.37. A life in which we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4.16. A life in which Christ's love has, was first, it has the first and the last word in everything we do, 2 Corinthians 5.14. A life in which we are exceedingly joyful within our tribulations, 2 Corinthians 7.4. A life in which we can be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4.6 in which we are praying always, in which we do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and our Father through Him. Canaan is a life defined by grace, refined by challenge, and aligned with a heavenly call in God's plan, in God's land. We win more often than we lose. Forgive as quickly as we are offended. Give as abundantly as we, can, as we receive. Serve out of our giftedness and delight in our assignments. We may stumble, but we do not collapse. We may struggle, but we defy despair. We boast only in Christ, trust only in God, and lean wholly on His power. We enjoy abundant fruit and increasing faith. Canaan symbolized the victory that we can have today, in spite of what the hymn suggests. To Canaan's land I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. Canaan is not a metaphor for heaven. The idea is beautiful, but the symbolism just doesn't work. Heaven will have no enemies. Canaan had at least seven enemy nations. Heaven will have no battles. Joshua and his men fought at least 31. Heaven will be free of stumbles and struggles. Joshua's men weren't. They stumbled, they struggled, but their victories far outnumbered their defeats. Canaan then does not represent the life that is to come. Canaan represents the life that we have now. God invites us to enter into that Canaan, there's only one condition. We must turn our backs on the wilderness. Just as Canaan represents the victorious Christian life, the wilderness will represent the defeated Christian life. In the desert, the Hebrew people were liberated from Egyptian bondage, but you wouldn't have known it by listening to them. 
three days into their freedom, and they come to Moses saying, What shall we drink? Let us go back. The leeks and the onions were better back there. A few more days passed, and the children of Israel complained again, Oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. The people contended with Moses, and the people complained against Moses. They inhaled anxiety like oxygen. They bellyached to the point that Moses prayed, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. How did the Hebrews descend to this point? It wasn't for the lack of miracles. They saw God's power in high definition. They watched locusts gobble up crops. They watched boils devour skin, flies that were buzzing through Pharaoh's court. God turned the chest-thumping Egyptians into shark bait right before their eyes. But when God called them to cross over into Canaan, the twelve spies returned, and all but two said, Impossible. The giants were too big for them. We're grasshoppers. We were tiny, tiny bugs. They will squash us. So God gave them time to think all this over. He put the entire nation in a timeout period for 40 years. They walked around in circles. They ate the same food every day. Life was an endless routine of same rocks, lizards, snakes. Victories were scarce. Progress was slow. They were, they were saved, but they were not strong. Redeemed, but not released. Saved from Pharaoh, but stuck in the desert. Redeemed, but locked, in, locked into routine, monotonous, dull, ho-hum, humdrum, four decades of tedium. Sounds miserable, doesn't it? It might sound familiar, though. I sat across the lunch table today from a man in a midlife misery. He described his life with words like this. I'm stuck in a rut. I'm stalled. He's a Christian. He can tell you the day that he escaped from Egypt, but he can't tell you the last time he defeated temptation or experienced an answered prayer. Twenty years into his faith, he fights the same battles he's fighting the day that he came to Christ. He's out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of him. He didn't say these words, but I could sense the sentiment. I thought the Christian life would be better than this. He feels disengaged and discouraged. It's as if the door to spiritual growth has been locked and everyone has the key but him. He doesn't know whom to blame, himself, the church, God. He doesn't know what to do, change congregations, change the Bible translations, slow down, reflect, get busy, go to work. My friend is not alone in this wilderness. The revival research project that went on for went on a search for Joshua's. Beginning in 2007, they surveyed the members of more than a thousand churches. They wanted to determine the percentage of churchgoers who actually propelled, who are who are actually propelled by their faith to love God and love others with their whole hearts. How many Christians would describe their days as living in glory days? That answer came back 11 percent. 11%. Nearly 9 out of 10 believers, in other words, were languishing in the wilderness. They were saved? Yes. Empowered? No. They waste away in the worst ways in the land of in-between. Out of Egypt, but not yet to Canaan. 11%. If our high schools graduate only 11% of its students, if our hospitals healed only 11% of its patients, if a baseball team only won 11% of its games, if a home builder completed only 11% of its projects, wouldn't there some changes be made? The church has a serious deficiency. We also have a wonderful opportunity. There's about 2.2 billion people on our planet that will call themselves Christians. That is approximately one-third of this world's population. 
if this survey is any indication, about 2 billion of those Christians are chugging along on a fraction of their horsepower. Such sluggishness can only lead to weak churches and half-hearted ministries. What would happen if they got a tune-up? How would the world be different if 2 billion people came out of the wilderness? How much joy would be unleashed into this atmosphere? How much wisdom would be quarried and shared? How many marriages would be saved? How many wars would be prevented? How much hunger would be eliminated? How many orphanages would be built? How many orphanages would we even need if every Christian began to live in the promised land? Life would, promised land, life, how would the world be different? If you begin to live in a promised land, how would you do different, be different? Do you sense a disconnect between the promises of the Bible and the reality of your life? Jesus offers you abundant joy, yet you live with oppressive grief. The, epist the epistles speak of grace, and you shoulder that guilt, such guilt. We are more than conquerors, yet we are commonly conquered by our temptations and weaknesses. Caught in the land between Egypt and Canaan. Think about the Christian you want to be. What qualities do you want to have? More compassion, more conviction, more courage? What attitudes do you want to discontinue? Greed, guilt, negativity, critical spirit? Well, here's the good news. You can. With God's help, you can close that gap between the person you are and the person you want to be. Indeed, the person that God had made you to be. You can live from glory day to glory day. The walls of Jericho, they're already condemned. The giants, they're on the run. The deed to your new life in Canaan has already been signed. It just falls onto you to possess the land. Joshua and his men did this. They went from dry land to promised land, from, a ma from eating manna to feast, from arid deserts to fertile fields. They inherited their inheritance. Their epitaph deserves a second reading. So the Lord gave, this is Joshua 21, 43 to 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. You can personalize this promise and put your name in it. The Lord gave to your name all the life that he has sworn to give you. And you took possession of it. You dwell in it. And the Lord gave you your name rest all around. And there's not an enemy that can stand against you. Not a word failed of any good thing which God has spoken to all came to pass. That is God's vision for your life. Imagine that. You are, you as are, you were intended to be. You are as victory over Jericho and over the giants. You and your promised land life. It's yours for the taking. <clears throat> I'll just quit with that. Let's think about that. If you, if you reflect back on the impossibility of what's impossible and we see the history of mankind through that through that time and where they're at and so i asked myself this question as i read this this morning um where am i living am i headed to canaan am i stuck between egypt and canaan or am i living in my in the glory days am i living in in the land of canaan which is the here and now it's not heaven um <clears throat> maybe just a few a few more i guess here so um So uh, Jesus calling, uh, Psalms 90, uh, verse 2, I think it is here. It says, I speak to you from the depths of eternity. Before the world was formed, 
I am. You hear me? In the depths of your being, when I have taken up residence, where I have taken up my residence, I am Christ within you, the hope of glory. I am your Lord and your Savior, and I am alive within you. Learn to tune into my living presence by seeking me in, in silence. So as we celebrate the wonder of my birth in Bethlehem, celebrate also your rebirth into eternal life. This everlasting lasting gift was the sole purpose of my entering your sin-stained world. Receive my gift with awe and humility. Take time to explore the vast dimensions of my love. Allow thankfulness to flow freely from your heart in response to my glorious gift. Let my peace rule in your hearts and let let me be let you let me be thankful. <clears throat> One more here Jesus is calling. It says I am the gift that continuously gives, bountiless with no strings attached. Unconditional love is such a radical concept that even the most devoted followers are, will fail to grasp it fully. Absolutely nothing in heaven and earth can cause me to stop loving you. You may feel more loved when you are performing according to your expectations, but my love for you is perfect. Therefore, it is not subject to any variation at all. What does vary is your awareness of my presence in your life. When you are dissatisfied with your behavior, you tend to feel unworthy of my love. You may unconsciously punish yourself by withdrawing from me and attributing the distance between us as to my displeasure of you. Instead of returning to me and receiving my love, you attempt to earn my approval by trying harder. All the while, I am just aching to hold you in my everlasting arms, to enfold you in my love when you are feeling unworthy or unloved. Come to me, then then ask for receptivity to my unfailing love. There's a couple more verses with that. But so, <clears throat> just reflecting back on what Jesus told Mary, um, let us remember that nothing is impossible with God. No matter what. So, that's all I have. Suddenly 
worship Christ the newborn King. Sinners wrong with true repentance, to for guilt to endless pain. Justice now revokes the sentence, mercy calls to Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we uh, stand here before you, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this uh, this time of the year, this season. We thank you, Lord, that you have made provisions for us and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a baby, as he came into this world <clears throat> to save all men from their sin. And you made it possible for us to be redeemed. You made it possible for us to be <clears throat> to be more than conquerors through him who loved us because you have loved us, Lord. To that end that you sent him so we thank you for that we just thank you for <clears throat> john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life and that everlasting life is available to us today while we're living here in canaan and this can be um, our glory days it can be the best years of our life if we can see you at work and continuing to make uh, differences within our life and so Help us, Lord, this day just to take all these thoughts and things that were shared and have an impact on our day-to-day life as we walk with you. We thank you again for all our brothers and sisters in Christ and everyone that's here. Might you bless each and every one as we continue um, this season and into the next year and the years to come. We thank you for your word that has came. May it be fruitful to our hearts. We pray in the worthy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.